we may be sailing into the history books. Will you goddamn show it as piggy? What are you waiting for? You want to eat me? Then go ahead! That was a huge pivotal point in my life after seeing King Kong at three. I went into the bathroom and like, I snuck in and was putting makeup on my face. And I'm looking in the mirror and I'm not seeing a little kid putting makeup on, I'm seeing a gorilla looking back at me through the glass. And I snuck out to the living room. Parents jump off the couch, screaming. And in that moment, it was like lightning hit me, I was like, I have power over my parents. Some things that might seem like huge for other people didn't affect me as huge as like some little moments like that. Like, like what you're saying, like the real stuff that hits me hard, it's not like seeing a, a article in a magazine or something saying, hey, Shane and his team did this thing it's really great I mean that feels good and all but to see the reality of a kid dressed up as Professor Morte with a costume he made himself and seeing kids like these this autistic kid uh, started making stop-motion uh, animated videos with his Legos after we did this talk about Ray Harryhausen and Stop Mo and I got to see he actually made a Professor Morte out of Legos and Stop Motion animated it so that stuff to me is like okay that's why I'm doing this alive alive I just wanna see why don't you kick off your motherfucking shoes? Cause you ain't ready for how crazy this shit's about to get. Oh, you're ready. Well, welcome, digital friend. Glad you could join me. This episode is with the spooky Shane Morton, and it was an absolute honor to get to go out to a Silver Scream FX lab. It is this massive place full of, uh, how do you even put this? The most spookiest, grandest horror, everything you could ever imagine. It's practically a museum of everything he's ever worked on and it is the craziest thing. Shane Morton's known for so much and I could spend so much time trying to list it off. But more importantly, he has one of the kindest hearts that I've ever met. And I honestly cannot wait for you to hear this episode. I've actually re-recorded this intro a bajillion times because I sat around and rambled about how great he was. <laughs> and it always just felt like too much. So I'm not going to get into it this time. Google him. He's awesome. He's done amazing things. And we get to crack into just a little bit of his life on this podcast. So, without further ado, friends, let's get it. You 
been in music, so yeah. you sang into like in ears and yeah. shit. Yeah. You know? Plus, I was born without ear canals, so I had like to get this crazy ear surgery when I was a baby, and I've what? had like crazy tinnitus all my life. What? So it's like. And I think playing loud music for 40 years has like yeah. dulled some of that down. Yeah, you know? yeah. Dude, that, that's actually, man. Well, by the way, man, welcome to the podcast, dude. And honestly, you're one of the best hosts I've ever been around, man. Like coming into your badass effects lab and just being able to walk around and just check everything out, man. It's honestly like I, I feel not only inspired, but just awakened. Like it's really wild, man. Like the energy that, that you carry in here and how I couldn't imagine. Cause I mean, if you think about it, you've, you've created so much, there's so much creative creativity, just like oozing from the seats of this place. I mean, even sitting in the seat I'm sitting in, you've probably yeah. done crazy shit. I mean, in, you know? even, the, <laughs> even the garbage cans have monsters painted on them around here. Yeah. Exactly, man. It's, it's intense, yeah, man. I, even some of the chairs look like monsters. This You can't, there's paintings all over it, but, yeah like Dude. you're right we've i've basically i mean you can look at the walls over here there's just like if i've got some paint left on a paintbrush i'll just go ahead and use it up on a wall i somewhere. love it man is your this is a weird question just popping in my mind is your house kind of like this a little bit yeah well it used to be yeah. just like this because all these toys <laughs> and these glass cases were there but um you know ever since I got the opportunity to have this place. And plus my wife, there's more of a feminine touch at the sure. house, you know, <laughs> she's got it looking, it's a little clean, like the yeah. lines are cleaner, I guess you would <laughs> sure. say. A little monsterfied, but yeah. Well, every room like at our house is a theme. Like even the kitchen looks like a mad scientist lab. Whoa. It's all painted like uh, stone and stuff and dude that is so every room has a theme like we have a library and it's a forest there's trees built into what? the walls but <laughs> it's shit. yeah but it's it's a little the lines it's are cleaner like you know yeah so you're not only living in a story like we all are but you're actually living in a story you like wake oh, yeah. up and you're like in the enchanted forest of elgon you know yeah. or something like crazy well, you know? when she first moved in <laughs> The um the bathroom has like a nautical theme. There's like mermaids painted on the door and stuff. And I was like, so what do you think about this place? And we were standing in the bathroom. She's like, this room would be better if there was an octopus painted on the ceiling. <laughs> and I was like, okay, she's the one. Oh, you know? yeah, dude. So she literally painted a white octopus on the ceiling. So. Dude, I mean, and we honestly, man, we've had such an amazing conversation, like pre-podcast that I'm like, God, like where the hell do we even start? Because there's like, I knew a lot about you, but then actually getting to hang out with you, I was like, holy shit, like this guy's got, way more than I ever like uh, so now I'm just like lost man and I feel like a cool place just to start just to kind of give people an idea of you is like where did this all begin for you like why why in the hell monsters why does this like invoke so much imagination for you like where does that really kind of start it it really started on my third birthday my parents took me to see King Kong at an old movie palace in New York and I I got my first issue of Famous Monsters magazine that day and they took me to see King Kong and it ch it changed my life. Like from then on I was just obsessed with all things monsters, art, you know, I was always an artistic kid drawing and sculpting out of Play-Doh. Yeah. I mean, I can show you there's a there's a Godzilla sculpture in this case over here that I did when I was 4. What? So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'll take a picture of that. Is like I was I was like 12 years old when I did this 
take off Whoa. of Rodin's The Thinker. So I've always been into this stuff, you know, and I was really lucky that I was raised by, uh, you know, parents and grandparents even that were like deep into this. Like there's yeah. this great family story about my grandmother driving through a blizzard because they had to get to the Tingler opening Whoa. night because the, the seats were going to shock them and stuff. <laughs> oh and gosh. this is in Buffalo, New York. So I don't know if you've ever been to yeah. a, oh, yeah. a blizzard in Buffalo. Yeah, that's it's no like, joke. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But yeah, they, um, so growing up in a house, that had like empty bird cages with rubber bats hanging in them in the living room. <laughs> and my dad teaching me how to do makeup when I was like, just, you know, three years old that wow. same time. It was, it was a crazy environment. At what point did you feel like you learned? Cause I know we talked a little bit about this off the podcast about like almost kind of being an alchemist by like creating and crafting and almost changing the environment, thus changing reality. At what age did you begin to go like, ah, man, like this is crazy. Like when I put this on, I not I become something different and people perceive me as something different. Well, that was a huge pivotal point in my life. After seeing King Kong Whoa. at three, I went into the bathroom and like was... I snuck in and was putting makeup on my face and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm, I'm not seeing a little kid putting makeup on. I'm seeing a gorilla looking back at me Whoa. through the glass. And I snuck out to the living room. Ah, my parents jump off the couch screaming. And in that moment, it was like lightning hit me. I was like, I have more power. I have power over my parents. Like I've turned myself into a gorilla and now they're terrified of me. Like I, I have the power, <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's amazing. but in fact, I had just dyed my face black with shoe dye. I couldn't leave the house for two weeks. Are you serious? Yeah. It was shoe dye? Yeah. So that was my first Holy uh, makeup job. But like my dad, after seeing that, he was yeah. like, well, you know, there's this thing you can do with uh, a burnt cork. It, that was the other thing I got Whoa. from my family was like, we didn't have much money. So it was always like Ingenuity, this imagination. Yeah. And I remember one year I wanted to be Lon Chaney from London after midnight. And my dad was like, oh, that's a tall order. And he goes, nope, we're going to do it. And there was back then milk jugs were made out of white plastic. And he took the corner of the milk jug and cut out these serrated teeth because the Cheney character has like sharp shark teeth. Yeah. And he, he, we went to the five and dime and for like 25 cents, he bought a sheet of black poster board, which he made a top hat out of. And, um, she took a cork and burnt the cork and showed me how to do like shadowing so on my face. Cool. Took a trash bag. Con and contour before the Kardashians. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, bro, I knew that contour. <laughs> but like for a quarter, it, yeah. there I was. I was Lon Chaney in London after midnight. I mean, it was all made out of garbage bags and cardboard, but Whoa. to a five-year-old kid, it was transformative, Dude. you know? There's a couple things here is like, you know, I have, like I've told you before, I have a two and a half year old and I, I often wonder, cause I feel like he's getting to that age where something pivotal is going to happen in his life. That's going to literally shape him forever. Like you're saying, you know, you were three years old yeah. and then all of a sudden this moment happened that literally propelled you through life, you know? And one thing that I think is so cool that I've seen, even when I was here today, you know, with the little kid that came in, I forgot his name. 
Yeah, um, Messiah. Yeah, Messiah. That's right. Not the big hard strong to name. Yeah, that Messiah. Name. <laughs> Such a badass name. But what I love about you so much is you see that like reciprocated through your work today. Is that like obviously you have this badass story where like at a young age you were influenced by people and they showed you this like this way, this imagination. And I love that. Like not only did I see this today, like in, with my own eyes, but even you know a lot of the shows you do and every a lot a lot of things you do in general, you incorporate kids. And that's something I wanted to kind of just like dive down for a minute the like why like what is why is that so important for you well it's it's super important for me because like because of this fantasy world that i lived in i didn't realize i was poor until i was around 13 and 12 years old i went through a phase where i was trying to fit in sure i cut my hair like i had hair down to my ass almost when i was a kid because my parents were like my dad's a biker my mom was a beatnik you know so um Basically, I was this like, you know, super weird heavy metal looking kid with Frankenstein airbrush <laughs> shirts and stuff. But like, <laughs> but I went through a phase like all kids do. I was trying to fit in. I joined Whoa. the football team and really? I cut my hair and we went to the store and I was like, yeah, I want these Levi's jeans and an Izod shirt. And my mom was like well, we can't get that because we got to put everything on this Sears charge card. So you're going to get tough skins and this, <laughs> this lion tiger shirt. It, look, it looks the same. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, I was yeah, yeah. like, wait, we're poor. <laughs> and on the way out to the, to the car, I saw our family car for the first time, and it was like this beat-up station wagon. Wow. And every, my whole perception changed because I had lived in this perfect fantasy world for so long that I had everything I needed, right? My parents yeah. had given me so much, like, you know, I was reading when I was four. You know, I was like... I was reading Robert E. Howard when I was 10 years old and my mom turned me on to Lovecraft when I was 12. So I just had this crazy environment where I was constantly painting, sculpting, making music, you know, and I never thought about things like that because now we know things like that don't matter. matter. But to (laughs) a 12 year old kid, I was like, whoa, we're poor. Mm. And it was like a real shock, you know, and I get back to the house and I'm looking around and I was like, Whoa, okay, you know. So to get around to it, that was a a really polarizing event because I was like, man, I have manipulated my whole reality to be whatever I wanted it to be. You know, just because my room was painted seafoam green and I could hang pictures of Ray Harryhausen dinosaurs and I had a sculpture table with a little fake kiss stage that I'd make kiss dolls. So I had this whole world that was as real as anything going on. You know, I was making my own stop motion movies and stuff like that and being able to manipulate my environment to the point that I didn't even realize that I was missing out on something else you know Whoa. and as a to a kid that's trying to fit in that's important but it didn't take you know i only i quit the football team like a six months into it and because my parents were like what has happened to our son he's <laughs> cut his hair he wants to play football like you know it's just the same thing it was like wednesday wanting to uh you know, paint flowers or something. There's something <laughs> yeah. wrong with this kid, yeah. you know? So how long, so it was about, was it six months that took you to kind of realize that like this wasn't for me in general? Or yeah. Really? Well, like, so pretty quickly on, you're like, this yeah. shit's like not. Yeah, this isn't happening. That's you know? cool. There was too much like, like I didn't, 
I didn't fit in into that world, you know, like I didn't fit into the football guys and stuff like that. Yeah. So very early on, I was like, I was having a lot more fun with the drama kids, yeah. you know, <laughs> and yeah. putting on plays. I was having more fun with the band kids. Like these, these kids aren't really my crowd, you know? I mean, yeah. they were all right. Yeah, sure. I still stay in touch with some of them. If yeah. After all these years, we're st- I'm still friends with some of them, but it's like, that was just like a, a real thing. Like I can, I can make my world whatever I want it to be. Yeah. You know? I mean, you can see around here, that's what I've done. I've just immersed myself in this stuff to the point that it's yeah, and overflowing. I, and I hope like we, I feel like the best way to do this is just to jump around. Cause your life has so much going on. But with all that you just said is that like, I had learned to like manifest like the reality and the world that I wanted. And now it's like, you know, we, we were talking about this a little bit when you're showing me all the crazy, awesome shit you have here. And you're saying like, if the three-year-old or four-year-old, me would have known like he would have been really proud of this or that yeah and it's like from a practical standpoint and and like i said i feel like there's just so much more to talk about that's going to be badass but for the average listener right like maybe even some young dude who just found this podcast somehow and he's like you know 10 or 13 i mean i don't know but like just anybody really like what are what is there something extremely practical that you feel like you've done in your life that actually got you here? Like not some like hoopla or like, you know, it was talent. Like this was really meant for me. I just knew, but like very practical because that's kind of where I'm at in my life is like, I'm learning more and more now that like, there are a lot of very just practical day-to-day things you have to do to be able to get to places like this. That it's not just this like big, you know, Disney story where Shane Morton just like, you know, he did this and he did that and he got this cool opportunity. He's worked for, you know, Rob, zombie and adult swim and all these like, yeah. crazy things and you know and uh, yeah he's just got this magical fucking story man you know it's like what are like what what does shane morton do on like a monday on like a tuesday on like you know when he gets to those months where you have to grind and push through like that's what i would love well, to hear see i think and and this this also sound because it does sound like like a, a bullshit kind of response but it really was a lot of hard work mm. and I would set my goals like impossibly high. Like when I first saw Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein illustrations, when I was like, you know, 11 or 12, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to illustrate like that. So as an illust- as a young illustrator, I started using Croquill pens. I got really good at pen and ink illustration. I'm no Bernie Wrightson, but yeah. I can, I can, I can handle a Croquill pen and I can handle pen and ink illustrations to the point, I mean, if you look at that, that's a drawing from 1986 back there, that guy in the coffin. Whoa. And it's it's like every ink technique combined. And I was only six, 17 years old. But what Whoa, I did is I would crazy. really apply myself. Yeah. Like I have this, I would also like throw myself into the deep end right off the start. Like that's how I learned to airbrush. My dad's biker friends, I used to break into this, place on the beach where everybody would go party and every week i would spray paint eddie on the side of the building what? and from iron maiden because i loved iron maiden yeah. and every week they'd paint over it and i'd jump the fence and i'd paint eddie like i'm back and I'm back, uh, yeah, yeah and my dad's friends were like man if that kid can do that with spray paint he needs to be airbrushing t-shirts because this is like 1982 where everybody was oh, airbrushing yeah. was everything like yeah. so they came over with an airbrush kit and I'll never forget this. Mark Wendell, he shows me these exercises, thick to thin, thin to little, paint this palm tree, 
practice all night because we're picking you up in the morning and we're taking you to a biker rally and you're going to make a lot of money airbrushing t-shirts <laughs> and i'm like 14 <laughs> and i've shit. never held an airbrush and i was oh, like oh, but these guys are big scary biker dudes right yeah. so at the first of the day i get out there and i'm painting names on shirts and then but by the end of the day i was doing portraits of harley davidson's Whoa. on them and then I might, you know, maybe not the best portrait of it, but sure. I've been airbrushing for eight hours, you know, for 10 hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I always threw myself into the deep end, you know, like when I decided, when I heard Iron Maiden for the first time, I decided I wasn't going to play drums. I was going to play bass and I was going to play bass like Steve Harris. Whoa. Now that's a lofty goal, you yeah. know, but I started galloping and really working, running scales constantly. So... I learned, you know, yeah. like, and when you set a high goal like that, an impossible goal, right? Like mm -hmm. I heard Iron Maiden, I'm going to play bass like that guy. Yeah. Like, and I, I've, I've become an accomplished bass player. Yeah. I can't play bass as good as Steve Harris, dude, but I could fool you're people. You're dude. I've seen Valkyrie. Know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, you set goals like that that are impossible and you're kind of forced to it. That's something all my life I've done. I lied my way into the tattoo industry. I had done one tattoo Whoa. and I got some gear, did a couple of things and uh, just went to a shop and said, I'd never done a color tattoo. And he goes, I want you to do a big color tattoo. It was on Dirk, Dirk Hayes. Really and I'd was? never done one. I said, cause me and Dirk were like, I was like, are you cool with this? And he's like, yeah, go for it. You can do it. <gasps> and I just blasted one out. And the guy's like, you're hired. You know, it was a, he still got it. It's like this gargoyle, like this big on his leg. And, uh, that's so yeah, cool. It was and crazy. Dude, and honestly, I got to be honest with you. That's, that's not a bullshit. It's just the best answer I've ever heard because that is what I'm seeing more and more. The more around I get around badass people doing badass things, I realize they just put the time in. They worked hard. Yeah. They've grinded to get to that point. And honestly, it's something I've had to work on my own self because sometimes I can be quite lazy. I don't know if it's an artistic thing. If I get honed in into the moment and I'm like feeling creative, then it's like boom, 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 boom. But you know, when you begin to do this as a job and it's not a hobby, you have to sometimes, do you feel like sometimes you have to push past? that like it's not just about the flow state it's not just well about there the there is no flow really yeah. like you can't you can't manufacture inspirado and mm. i say that a lot so there are certain things you have to do to stay inspired mm. and you've seen what I i've done i've surrounded that. myself with this stuff i surround myself with interesting people that i can stay inspired by you know and kids inspire me having kids out here working on stuff you know it's like it um it keeps things going because you can't stay full bore all the time. Yeah. Like brains just don't work that way. Like any psychologist or psychiatrist will tell you like that's a manic phase and you're going to, you're going <laughs> to knock gonna out drop. some killer <laughs> stuff, but at some point it's going to stop and you're going to be in a down thing. So how do you maintain that level? You just have to keep working. And yeah. in order to do that, you have to force yourself sometimes. Yeah. You know, no, that makes so much sense, man. Um, you know, I would love to also just kind of go down the rabbit hole of like, you know, Silver Screams uh, or Silver Scream, I should say, Effects Labs. Uh, what like, what started that? Like, how did you get into this beautiful place that we're in now? Because it's, I, we're in it and it's badass and it's so cool. But like we say, talking about the grind, talking about working hard, it's like, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. Well, what happened was I had decided I was, I re had retired from tattooing. I sold my shop. And I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do. I'd been making all these like, you know, 
short films and doing TV commercials and stuff for Adult Swim, and I was having a lot of fun with it because I've always messed around with special effects and mm-hmm. stop motion. I made my own movies and stuff, and I was like, well... I had been doing a lot of work in the theme park industry. Like I designed haunted houses and stuff like Mm -hmm. that for 30 years. I've been doing it and it just started ramping up to the point that it all just kind of congealed. When this place came up, these guys that had the, the family that bought this place, this huge building that we're in, they had sat on the property for a couple of years and when they came down to check it out and get it going, they realized pirates had come in and stolen all of the copper out of the buildings, Whoa. basically rendering this huge, because um, this used to be the flagship of Truck Stops of America, you know, restaurant. This, this was a Whoa. restaurant, so very big restaurant. And, you know, there's like a all this, you know, there's 200-room hotel over there, but it was rendered kind of useless. They're like, what, what are we going to do? But... The Wolper brothers, they're like a couple of men, so like punk rock geniuses, you know. And they were like, ah, oh, we're going to do um, paintball and SWAT training out here, police training. So they painted the building camouflage and got the contracts to do paintball, <sighs> bought that stuff. And they're like, yeah, we're going to call Shane and have him do like a haunted hotel in the hotel. So I came out here, and as soon as I saw the building, a light bulb went off. And because I've been designing haunted houses since, you know, 1988 and uh, just as a teenager. And um, over the years, I've done it all over the country and stuff. And I was always trying to think of other ways to do a haunted attraction. And uh, I saw the whole thing laid out. I was like, we're not going to do a haunted hotel. We're not going to do anything anyone's ever seen. We're going to do zombie paintball. We're going to do a moving <laughs> show where it's shit. like, it's a meta haunted house. We're going to, we're not even going to advertise it as a haunted house, Whoa. right? We're going to advertise it as you're living a movie. And, um, it ended up being a huge deal. Like within two months of us announcing the project, we were interviewed by every major news source in the world. Like NPR sent somebody from Russia, New York Times, LA Weekly. I mean, you name it because it was like, it changed the haunted house industry forever. Now everybody's doing escape the room. Mm, uh, Like experiential type stuff. But we were, we we basically invented it out here. Was that the Atlanta zombie apocalypse? Yeah. Holy crap. And because of that, I brought so much upgrades to this building, you know, with all the new uh, fire and systems we had to install and it all paid for that. And they were like, well, you know, even though we're not, we lost the ability to park thousands of cars a night out here. So we stopped doing the project three years ago, but they allowed me to keep this place to do my special effects work. So about two years ago, I had the idea to set it up as a museum because there was just so much cool stuff in boxes that we would rent out to productions. And I was like, man, we should set this up. Heck yeah. So you've kind of seen it in the process. It's hard for us to, to spend time on this while we're working on so many other things, you know, but every now and then I'll just go work on a scene and try to tighten it up and it's getting close. I mean, you can see the, the idea of this thing being open to the public and stuff is that's crazy, man. So, what was going back to tattooing just to touch on that because like i know that we could go on and on just about that you know it's like but just like to talk about it a little bit is like 
you were this crazy artist doing crazy things. Y'all, you were in a time in tattooing when it was like revolutionary, right? Like now yeah. because of the internet and YouTube, people can pick up a, an instrument and begin to learn techniques, but you guys were exploring them before they had like even yeah. been done. Well, what I, I call it like this tattoo renaissance happened and it started around 92 and a couple of guys like me and Dirk mm-hmm. here you've talked to, there were uh, a bunch of art school students too. Like I knew some guys up in Columbus, Ohio. It was like all these like-minded kids started getting into tattooing, but they were all illustrators and stuff and they were trained illustrators and painters. Mm. So tattooing had been done a certain way for so long where it was just like one line, three colors. And we started to say, Hey, we can use very like we're, Dirk and I both were two of the first artists that used variated line quality, which was Whoa. a crazy idea. But tribal tattoos had already started happening, and we were like, it's just kind of like a tribal tattoo just applied to the outline. But yeah. there were all these outside-of-the-box things. And me being an airbrush artist, I was putting multiple light sources on tattoos, like all these things that you are common today. Like yeah, I was sure. one of the first guys to do like photorealism and portraits. It's very common today. Yeah. But, you know, uh, 30 years ago, it was groundbreaking and people would look at these tattoos and go, what is that? Oh, it'll never hold up. Or you guys are, you know, we caught a lot of flack. You can't do that. You're breaking all the rules. You have no respect for the industry. And we're all just like, um, we just did it, you know, like. (laughs) <laughs> we, just did, it, we just did it we it's just happened. did it it's the, the industry changing it. <laughs> and yeah. and we're changing it but the thing that did bite us on the ass for that is we were real free with the um information and everything yeah. there used to be a very occult rule everything was hidden mm. and it was hidden for a reason because they knew it was not hard to do this and if everybody started doing it there'd be no work for everybody yeah. so there was this level of like um apprenticeships and stuff going on and none of us really went for that and what that did is it's this it's it caused an influx of artists like when i opened my shop which was like one of the first gallery shops in the in the world like no flash on the walls seven artists that were all college trained um it uh it was crazy there were only two other shops in all of atlanta now there's 300 other shops Whoa, you know? i did not know that oh yeah holy it's, i it's mean insane. i know of like a handful but i didn't yeah. think like 300 holy yeah shit. you gotta think to the time when there was only three That's and it was just nuts crazy yeah so you know going through that one of my biggest questions was like do you remember what that transition felt like and what i mean is like you know you had so much inertia built up of like a name and all this stuff that you've done and like to like almost like let that go to like start you know the effects lab or like or to kind of transition like what was that transition like you know in your life where you were like there was a little bit of uncertainty of like should i just go for this or well i had already it had already started happening adult Mm. swim had started calling me about projects i had started to make a name for myself for doing special effects and stuff for real, like applying myself. Yeah. And I could, you know, there's room for improvement everywhere. Like I work every day on trying to get better and learn new techniques and stuff, you know, because it's a constantly changing, changing landscape. But with, 
I think it was just like, this is finally the time when I'm supposed to do what it is that I was supposed to do from the start. And that's just make monsters all the time, you know, like, and I always did it. Like when I was airbrushing, it was all, I was always the guy that did the monster shirts or the guy that the, the van that needed the Frazetta painting on the side of it. I was (laughs) the airbrush artist that did that stuff. (laughs) So now what I wanted to do a big thing that happened too is when Rob Zombie was going to do Halloween 2 in Atlanta, oh, yeah. he contacted me at first to do just a bunch of paintings for the movie because mm-hmm. we used to play, we used to open up for Rob when it was White Zombie. Yeah. So I had known cool. him and Sean back from when they were dating and he, you know, it's funny because Rob and I's artwork is very similar. There's yeah. a big graphic line and there's like crazy colors with light sources. So we hit it off when we first met. We actually, when we first met, it was like 1990 and we had full sleeves and colored <laughs> dreadlocks. And we, I ran, I ran backstage and I was like, who's this motherfucker nibbling my nuts? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding around yeah. right because i loved his stuff and he jumps up and we're looking at each other and we're like fuck nobody looks like this you know like we were kind of like the two freakiest looking guys in the room we ended up talking about like you know mario bava movies and stuff so yeah. so originally he called me just to do some paintings but then after we went into some meetings he ended up giving me like help him do like taking over this whole big Halloween party that yeah. he had to do. So I ended up putting up a, a bunch of, like, my favorite local special effects guys that were doing stuff, you know, like, um, you know, Roy Woolley and Lucas Godfrey and um, just, like, I mean, the list of the cool dudes in town, Nick Morgan and Blake Meyer, all these guys all came together and, you know, Chris Brown, like I can just name just about everybody in the horror community. I just called them all up. I said, man, let's get together and throw the craziest fucking Halloween party ever, you know? And for three days, you know, we did that and it ended up being a really, really good thing. And at the end of it, Rob was like, you know, dude, you should really be doing this all the time. Like this is your first big movie you ever worked on. And you kind of look what hat you came in. You took over this, this production. Like you should be doing this all the time. And uh, so I'd, what did that just feel like though when like someone like Rob Zombie on Halloween 2 yeah. and you were this kid who's like wanted all this like like what did that actually feel like you know to finally have that accomplishment to have that like feeling of like fuck man like maybe I should do this yeah like, this it was just like another thing you know, like a you moment in time the universe where like, tells you yeah. like now's the time to do it I'd already had that feeling but mm-hmm. I had come in with a with a group of like eight or nine makeup artists and we had accomplished 274 makeups in under four hours and it was like this big crazy job and like while it was going on these guys were coming over that were like i've never seen anything like this like what are you guys doing you know and we were like doing like haunted house makeups blasting people out and stuff and um it's just like i think the main like i'm not the most technically accomplished special effects artist right like i'm not the guy that you would come to to do a realistic uh old age silicone appliance makeup you know like i'm not gonna be winning any oscars for 
makeup application. But what I've done over all these years of working in art is I've create. I have a style. Sure. You can look at it and you can go, oh, like Shane did that crazy looking thing. And it's, you know, some people would say um, that's because it's like, screwed up and crappy looking you know and some people say it's because it it looks like a 1960s comic book or a hot rod sticker from you know big daddy ross stuff applied to it so what i've done is like i might not be the most accomplished special effects artist but i've done this thing where i've created a look and a like a brand you know where it's like people will seek me out to do the weird shit Mm -hmm. you know like they're like oh this is a weird thing so it'd be perfect for shane to put his weird edge on it you know they're not i'm not gonna be the guy they call to do the realistic you know young like just a call the other day we need a guy to make these kids these 20 year olds look younger, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, that's, that's really not me. I've yeah. got friends that are, that are better at that. And even, even, even I don't handle a lot of the more technical stuff around here. Even the easy molds, Kevin usually does that. And if we got crazy, you know, like silicone stuff, there's this guy, Kyle Yacklin that works with us. It's like a technical genius with this shit yeah i'm better as a designer and a and a a sculptor and a fabricator yeah so i know where my strengths lie and it's like now we could build a team you know i could put a team to handle any movie together but like it's more about um with me it was more important for me to establish myself as a certain style and a certain work ethic too like there this thing happened with makeup artists where in the 80s they were like the special effects guys were the rock stars they had long <laughs> they all had long hair and they partied and they looked like heavy metal dudes yeah. and they were fun yeah you know but something happened and and makeup artists ended up becoming like these crabby guys that were like no fun and yeah. it's like and and a lot of the fun went out of the the work too i think so when i was like well i'm gonna dive into this and i'm gonna try to bring it back to the 80s you know we're gonna be the cool dudes that are fun to be around on set we're gonna keep the energy up and it's true like people will tell you like when when that's where people go and hang out yeah, it's like they're gonna go up in the makeup trailer because we're all in there telling some story. It's crazy, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's like yeah, it's it's where the fun is happening. I just try to keep you know people that work with us too. Try to stay away from like these crazy egos and stuff like that because it's all yeah. about with me. I I like to be real inclusive, you know, because I'm gonna learn. I'm going to learn something from these guys every time I'm around them, you know? Yeah, man. I think yeah. that's super smart, man, to to find, like, your abilities and your niche, you know what I mean? Not to try to be everything and realize that you are special in, in this certain way, you know yeah. what I mean? And, like, this is my thing. And, you know, obviously, you growing up and being so into that old movie culture has, like, obviously imprinted onto your work, yeah. you know what I mean? Which is awesome, you know, because, like you said, people then look for you specifically, you know what yeah. I mean? And I think I think even just from an entrepreneur, entrepreneur perspective that seems like the best way to handle things yeah. you know what i mean yeah you've got to know where your strengths lie you know like and it's always good to be taken out of your comfort zone yeah. and and be challenged you know which i do that all the time we just did this movie called the kabbalion and i designed all these pre-african pre-sumerian gods Whoa. that like but <laughs> it was cool. all made out of like 
organic stuff. We were sewing the costumes and basket weaving stuff and trying to make it look like we studied all these old, like shamanistic, uh, the different Krampuses from all over the world that are embodiments of these deities. And we kind of pulled from this, pulled from that. None of them ended up looking really African in the same way that maybe the uh, pinhead Cenobite mm. is based on African tribal designs where they would hammer nails in to keep bad spirits in and stuff. So we would pull things like that and then apply a little switch on them. But there was a lot of thought went in. There was a lot of sacred geometry and all the design and everything. Oh, that's cool. But Kevin, I'll tell you, we're in there triple sewing all this stuff by hand so it looks terrible, and we're hand sanding all this wool and trying to make it look crappy, and that's not what I do. <laughs> you know, like I, I make stuff out of rubber, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, you know. That's so crazy. But it was it was cool, you know, and now we've got these nine, um, these, you know, super badass monster suits that in a year we'll be able to, they're not monsters, these yeah. god creatures or whatever, but it Dude. doesn't really look like something I would normally do because there's not so much crazy veins and dripping bulbous pustules. You know, it's more about, you know, shape and color or lack of shape and lack of color. Dude, that's so rad, man. One thing we were talking a little bit about because, you know, obviously with modern movies, uh, technology has really taken hold. Things like CGI. Uh, you guys are more like OGs. You know, yeah. You're, you're one of the. I mean, one of the most influential movies for me, which wasn't technically horror, would be Jurassic Park. When I was young, and that movie came out, it was like revolutionary. Like yeah. I remember seeing the dinosaur and be like, "Holy shit, this thing looks real!" And that was some CGI. Yeah. And that's where you really started to see it kind of come into play with animatronics and things that yeah. are you know still very heavily in your world. What it, like? How do you feel about it? And are you seeing? I'm seeing just as an outside perspective, like of a renaissance kind of happening, going back to like, you know, prosthetics and well, people have figured out what's best. The reason why Jurassic Park is probably still like some of the best CGI you've seen is because it's used right. And the reason it's used right is because it wasn't a CGI animator. It was the head of the CGI animation team. It was a stop motion animator Mm. named Phil Tippett who did all the stuff for star Wars and empire strikes back. So he knew how to apply an artistic look, how to stage a scene how to use the thing and they of course had stan winston's crew which involved you know shane mann and crash mccreary like two of the most badass illustrators and designers of of monster history designing all this ultra realistic stuff so most of what you see on that screen is not cg pure cgi and it also helps when you're not scan you're not just building it in a computer they built real models and they scanned them so there's a real sculpture Mm -hmm. they're they're working from so my thing like jurassic park was a major like wow look at this like and then digital makeup started getting better and you start wondering like how far it's going to go i mean i finally just got an ipad and i'm (laughs) you know i can show you some of the first stuff i did and it's like it's just another tool you know, and it's like oh, these are like crazy. these are early renderings of of this of this digital. I just dove right in that's and crazy. started like I mean this here I'll show you. This is the first thing I ever did on a computer. Whoa. You know, that's sitting so in the lobby of the place that I I bought this thing like 
10, 15 minutes. What? So like you have to be versatile, you know, yeah. and if I don't learn how to talk in this language, then I'm not going to be working anymore because nowadays all your previs for movies is done digitally so they can what? easily send these drawings over. Storyboards, everything are all done now so it's easy for them to take these instead of having to scan everything. Like I used to hand draw these. I do a lot of storyboarding and stuff. Mm-hmm. And nowadays... They don't want to see hand-drawn storyboards. They need a digital file sent over so they can go right in the previs and start animating your storyboards. Whoa. So it's I'm constantly having to learn these new languages, you know. That's so crazy and how much it, is changing and changing and changing. Well, I'm the last of the holdouts. <laughs> like everybody's got this. Everybody's yeah. been doing this and they're all like, yeah. it's about time. <laughs> you know, now I don't need, you know, this guy I do, a, he does a lot of uh, t-shirt printing and stuff. He's like, finally, now I never have to scan your art, your, yeah, your yeah. crappy hand-drawn stuff. Your crappy hand-drawn you know? reworking <laughs> shit. Yeah, now it's a digital <laughs> file. But like, it's... um. That's part of the the great thing about okay. So I've always been a, a commercial artist, if you want to say. That. Ever since I was thirteen, I had my own airbrush shop on the beach when I was fifteen years old. I had like by the time I went to SCAD on a full illustration scholarship when I was seventeen, I already had a portfolio from working as an illustrator for the the newspaper on St. Simon's, right? So I had all this stuff already. I had been forced to do illustrations of handicapped accesses and pizzas and menus. So I had already had this huge um, thing to draw from, you know, and that's whenever you're doing anything with art, everything you do is relatable, right? Mm -hmm. So all my years of illustration, that ended up feeding all the tattoo stuff, all the tattoo stuff and the That's illustration crazy. and the sculpture and the airbrush heavy metal album covers or everything that informs my sculptures. Yeah. You know, like even, even music, you know, like that playing a musical instrument and listening to different types of music will make your visual art better. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so for me to get a chance to once again, step out of my comfort zone and start doing some, you know, joining the 21st century finally, Dude, you know, yeah, like, it's, it's good for me. I got to shake it up. You know, I don't, I, you don't ever want to get too comfortable, you know? Seriously. No, nah, man. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say is, uh, cause the first time I ever think I ever heard about you, it was about Cheddar Goblin. And, uh, it was the first time that someone was just like, it like it really imprinted on me. Someone was like, do you got to check out Shane's a few of mutual friends in the world. And I, I just, I had always heard about it. Then I saw, I saw that when we first met, you had Cheddar Goblin there and that was my first time getting to physically see him. And then I just assumed that he was a part of some show, like a part of a show that he had, that it was like the Cheddar yeah. Goblin show, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, cause and, people were going so crazy. Exactly. It almost seemed like it had a life of its own. I wanted to talk about like what that felt like is like, you know, what was that process like? Cause I know it was so crazy when we talked a little bit about it, like how quick that kind of happened and, and and what it ended up kind of becoming. Well, whenever I tell people how it happened, they're like, what? (laughs) Cause they're like, dude, what was it like to work in Belgium with Panos? And I was like, I wouldn't know. You know, it was the typical thing of Panos contacted us because we had uh, Chris Kelly and I had done this thing called Too Many Cooks, Mm -hmm. right? It was this crazy viral sensation where Chris had come up with this genius idea of melting people's brains with this um, 
this crazy idea that all these 80s sitcoms end of title sequences start crossing over to each other. And I don't know if you've seen too many cooks. I haven't, dude. But I need it, to check it, that out. What it does is through editing tricks and through repeated imagery and repeated sound, it starts to make you sort of displaced in your reality. Like it, it really, it, it has this weird effect. Is it and a it movie? Really, it's a, it's a short, a short that we did for adult swim, Dude, I'm gonna but check that out. it's a crate. It looks so eighties, yeah. you know, like we spent a lot of time making everybody look eighties, these cheesy aliens we made for the Battlestar Galactica scenes, like all this stuff. But anyway, Panos was a big fan of it and he wanted this eighties commercial. He contacted Chris Kelly, who also writes and directs, your pretty face is going to hell with Dave Willis. And like that show has been like probably the most instrumental thing that's ever happened to me as far as getting started and realize I'm going to do this and then getting to be the effects head on your pretty face is going Dude, to hell, which hell is yeah. totally just, it's like my dream show. Yeah. You know, it's just such a wonderful it's world amazing. to play in. And the, the whole crew is great. And the directors are amazing. And Chris and Dave and I make all, we shoot crazy movies on the weekends. Like we're a real tight artistic crew, you know? Yeah. And, um, so where was I going with this? So, well, he called Cheddar got, yeah, he about, called you. And, and Chris Kelly goes, while we're shooting Pretty Face, mind you, which has got a huge <sighs> workload, Chris goes, what do you think about shooting a thing with this puking monster puppet next weekend? And I was like, <laughs> are you crazy? Like, do you see my workload? Like, I didn't sleep last night because I had to make this bobblehead that the prop department fucked up. You know, like, what are you doing to me? And he goes, it's for Panos Cosmatos. And I was like, okay, I'm in. You know, oh, like, well, I don't even care what it is. We're For people who haven't listened or don't know who he is. Well, he, he did can... this crazy movie, Beyond the Black Rainbow, yeah. that's just the most awesome psychedelic, like, time capsule weird thing I've ever seen. And I was like, okay, this guy's a visionary director, and he's making a fucking monster movie? Like, yeah. I'm in, you know? <laughs> and uh, so... I basically sculpted the Cheddar Goblin in five hours That's while so we were crazy. working on the set of Pretty Face. Kyle and, and um, Kevin put the thing into a mold. And they asked me, they're like, why are we doing this? Because we were working on our lunch break, yeah. making molds and stuff. And they're like, why are we doing this? Like, we are so busy. Like, this is killing me. And I was like, why? As a joke, I was like, yeah, watch. This will be the biggest thing we do this year. <laughs> yeah. You know? But we had pretty much... You know, it went away, you know, and I get this phone call from Chris Kelly and he's at Sundance and he's like, holy shit, you're not going to believe that movie that we worked on. And I was like, oh, what are you talking? He's like, it's so good. You're not going <laughs> to believe it. And you're not going to believe what the Cheddar Goblin is to the movie. He's like, Leonard Maltin's interviewing your puppet right now. It's total insanity over here. And I was like, are you like... <laughs> are you fucking with me, man? You know, like what is going yeah. on? And he's like, no, it's like, just promise me when you see this, you'll be sitting next to me. I'm not, you're not going to believe what we worked on because Holy we shit. didn't know. Yeah. We just knew we were doing a favor for this guy we admired. Yeah. Who's become a good, uh, a friend, you know, like awesome. I, I've ended up making props, specialty props for him. Panos is also like a haunted mansion fanatic like me. So yeah. I've like, I do all this haunted mansion inspired art, but yeah. also, you know, I'm trying to, I want to, whatever he makes, sure. I want to, you know, I want to be yeah, involved dude, in it. And, sure. and Spectre Vision stuff, you know, like we're trying to work with those guys. But it was all like a super surprise because I didn't, 
I didn't know we had inadvertently made the linchpin of the movie, you know, and yeah. it was like if no one's watched it, it's it's called Mandy, you yeah. know, like Nicolas Cage, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's a crazy movie. It. It's like it's it's the perfect movie for me too because it's like an 80s sword and sorcery movie in a way. Yeah. You know, mixed with all this cool like um Dungeons and Dragons on acid through a <laughs> techno <laughs> yeah. filter i don't even know what it is but it's so deep on so many levels Dude, too you're not kidding man and what the cheddar goblin meant in that scene too was this sort of like horrible idea of like a lovecraftian level of cosmic horror like the universe doesn't care about you like imagine the worst thing ever happening to you and then you get kicked while you're down because that's how brutal the universe is. Like you don't exist in this cold, yeah. you know, it's the whole Lovecraftian idea of you don't matter, you know, yeah. and it's, Nobody wants to think that. We all matter, right? Exactly, you know, man. We're like, the center of our universe. Yeah, it's all you know. about us. So, so to see that put so eloquently, and a lot of, a lot of people don't get it. They're like, ah, what happened? This thing shows up, starts throwing up macaroni and cheese all over kids. If you know what it's saying contextually, it's like super deep, you yeah. know? So I was so honored that, you know, this little thing that Chris and I did, uh, you know, in two days, I made the puppet in one day, two puppets actually, and then we shot it the next day that it would go on to have this huge impact. You know? But yeah. you never know. It's just like, what you, you know, how do you know what's going to hit? Who would have thought that you'd sell a million uh, yeah, beards beard out? Yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah, yeah, dude. Exactly. You never know. Yeah, you never. And I think that's one thing I've learned is like the the art of saying yes, actually. You know, I think yeah. I think there is a there's an art to it, right? Because you don't want to say yes to everything and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, but knowing when those moments are hitting and like you said, when the universe begins to kind of be like, yo, dude, it's time for you to quit doing you know tattoos. You need to move into this shit and it got yeah. all it propelled you all the way into the point where you literally have Rob Zombie looking at you like dude do it you know what I mean yeah. like, like the universe had to use so many different people to finally like push Shane Morton over the edge and say dude yeah. do this full time this is your calling it's also is your- when is the right time Dude. too you know yeah, it's man. like and sure i could have because this is my true love you know and i dabbled in it since i was three years old but who would have known what would have happened to me if yeah. i would have just moved to hollywood to become mm-hmm. a makeup effects artist during the drug-fueled 80s i might not be here having this conversation <laughs> exactly. with you you know so i i have this feeling that everything in my life has lined up at the right time for me to do the right thing at the right time. Now, whether it was the right thing at the right time for me, it might not have been, but it led me to the path of doing something else later. It's funny how it works out. Exactly, man. One thing I want to kind of like wrap into is the, your, your like show, I guess, I don't even know what would be the best term for the silver, uh, the spook spook show. show. Yeah. Yeah. The silver screen spook show. Like what would that actually be called? Like, it's a like not a play, right? It's like what is it? What well, it? basically, what I wanted to do, I wanted to revitalize the ghost show, which uh, was a common, which was a super uh, spook shows were super popular, like in the forties and fifties, live magic on stage before a movie. But what I wanted to do was similar to what Jim Rose Sideshow did to the Sideshow acts. He smartened it up and punk rocked it up and packaged it for a new 
you know, a new audience and it was like gangbusters, yeah. you know? And, um, I wanted to do the same thing with the spook shows cause they weren't known for being good there. You know, you'd get this old washed up drunk magician on stage and somebody would run <laughs> out in a gorilla suit and you'd feel kind of ripped off because <laughs> yeah. it wasn't that good. I wanted to make it good, yeah, but in a way that was still bad. <laughs> there's an you haven't seen it so there's an aesthetic that we make everything the night before the show out of cardboard and do stuff. Do you really? Yeah. Whoa. So we we're also showing and this is another thing that's real important to my thing with teaching kids. I like to show them you don't need lots of money to do stuff. Mm. All you need is your imagination. You know, you can do some dumpster diving and you can make stuff that's great like I still do it. Yeah. You know what I mean with the spook show. We we um we wanted to make it accessible. And people say it's like Pee-wee's Playhouse meets the Monsters, you know, <laughs> but live yeah. on stage. Yeah. And it's been a huge thing for me um and everybody else involved in it. You know, I think everybody feels like really rewarded, you know, when oh yeah. some 7-year-old kid shows up to the show wearing a sharpie I love Ray Harry House and shirt. You know you're doing <laughs> things right. I mean, one year I was out on Halloween and I saw a kid dressed up as me trick or treating. And I was like, "Okay. That's I'm so done. Cool. I'm done." You know, like that hit me as hard as like yeah. Getting a fucking Oscar or something, you know. Yeah. It was it was wild. You Damn, know? dude, that's so psychedelic because I think in the end, man, and that's kind of what I wanna like I wanna hear from you is like, you know, you've experienced a lot, man. You've done a lot of cool shit. And we could sit here really for hours. We actually have. We just weren't on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately for the, the listeners, the listeners they missed get... out on all the time travel and the aliens and the string theory and the you know <laughs> The, you know, well, they're just getting the, yeah, the, biog the biography. You know? Yeah, no, but, it's, I know. And it's like, you've done so many cool things. And it's like, and that's what I kind of want to make the point of is like, it's those moments. It's those moments when you see, you know, the next generation coming up and being inspired by you. Like you've become this voice for the next three-year-old. You're yeah. the, you were his King Kong. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like in that moment, you got to be that kid's King Kong that exactly. you don't know where or, or you know, how Where's many they're gonna go especially other hundreds of kids from the spook show that you've influenced or yeah. even the two kids that were in the cheddar goblin actual video yeah. you know that have now gonna you know grow up forever being that kid and you so know? yeah and, that crazy guy with the long hair dumped yeah. fake macaroni and cheese on us and let us get because these kids never get to get dirty so they were, <laughs> they these were actor like, kids are like whoa we get to do this all day <laughs> like I can't believe my mom's right there and I'm making a mess you know <laughs> yeah. but yeah it's 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 funny how that works out you know and and some some things that might seem like huge for other people didn't affect me as huge as like some little moments like that mm -hmm. like like what you're saying like the real stuff that hits me hard it's not like seeing a an uh, article in a magazine or something mm -hmm. saying, Hey, Sh Shane and his team did this thing. It's really great. I mean, that feels good sure. and all, but to see the reality of a kid dressed up as professor Morte with a costume, he made himself yeah. and seeing kids like these, this autistic kid, uh, started making stop motion, uh, animated, videos with his Whoa. Legos after we did this talk about Ray Harryhausen and Stop Mo and I got to see he actually made a S Professor Morte out of Legos and Stop what? Motion animated it 
So that stuff to me is like, okay, that's why I'm doing this. Yeah. You know, like, cause you know, all the ego stroking stuff aside, which, you know, it feels good for people sure. to say, Hey, you're great. I like you. You influence me. But when you see a kid come at it with purity like that, innocence and purity, you know, you see, I see like what you said, I see myself in that kid mm. and I'm like, wow, you know, I hope his life is as, that this does inspire him and it enriches his life the way it did mine. Yeah. My life is totally amazing and it's been amazing um, because art has made it that way. You know, one thing I wanted to kind of end on is like you, you've experienced so much, right? You've hung out with freaking Rob zombie, done shit with him. The Atlanta zombie apocalypse, you know, dear God, no Mandy cheddar goblin, you know, your pretty face is going to hell. Obviously is like such a kickoff show. We could spend hours talking about all that, but I think what I would love to like wrap up with is like, how does, how does Shane Morton view the world now that you've actually got to be the three-year-old that was, you know, doing the King Kong got to go through all this pressure in life, right? All these different things that we haven't talked about, all these personal things in your life we didn't talk about that you've had to go through all these success, all the failure to lead us to like this very moment where we're standing in this like epic, beautiful FX, you know, studio, like how are you viewing the world? Like as far as like hope, do you have hope for humanity? Like to be able to like, how are you, like, how are you viewing the actual world today? Well, you have to have hope, mm. you know? And like, even, even this, like, I'm going to speak frankly right now, no, like, right, right now we are not working on a movie job, yeah. you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm sculpting and drawing digital stuff for pre-production on stuff. But right now I haven't worked on a show in like two months mm-hmm. and I've just been doing all these paintings you know, until the next thing comes along, because sometimes it's like that, you know, mm. and you have to stay positive. You know, it's like, That's so good. I just lost Conjuring 3, you know, oh, and shoot. it was like a real bummer because we had a, I, I pitched all this great stuff and I mean, I'm not allowed to talk about it, but it sure. was going to be an amazing sequence and they loved it. And they're like, this is going to save us so much money. Cause I said, let's punk rock it old school and do this thing. And they were like, holy shit, that's great. But then it went to some other bigger house, you know, mm. cause I'm as big as this place is, I'm still thought of as the little, yeah. the little guy that does those crazy punk rock things. Yeah. You know? So I have to keep, saying, Hey, the next job is right around the corner and better things are going to happen because like we were talking all through life, you're going through ups and downs. Like I've been super famous, like mm-hmm. not been able to go, you know, I'm signing autographs all the time. And then I've had people like totally forget about me. Like nobody, mm-hmm. nobody really knows that I was a famous tattoo artist unless they're over 40, 50 years old. And they remember that time when I was the guy with the Dracula cape that showed up <laughs> at conventions and free handed yeah. these crazy <laughs> things, you know, which was a wild thing to see in the early 90s but now everybody's doing it yeah so you just have to stay you i i can't not have hope mm. you know like i can't not think about the next big thing i'm gonna do even if i'm gonna have to materialize that myself yeah. you know like this this sculpture i'm doing here like that's a project that i'm just gonna do and i'm gonna put it out there and see what happens mm-hmm. and uh i have to have hope that there's more stuff coming and more artistic achievements and new things for me to learn and new experiences for me to have. And yeah. maybe, maybe next time Panos makes a movie in Belgium, I will be over <laughs> yeah, there working yeah. with him on it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe me and Chris Kelly will make this feature film. That's a beautiful thing that I can't talk about. Yeah. And it's just like, there's all these things. And 
And in order to, to do all that stuff, we have to, uh, we got to keep, I mean, it's, it's tough too. Like right now I feel like a lot of people are feeling down mm. and I don't know if it's just the political climate. Of, sure. It's not just this country. It's going on Dude, all over the world. Everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, and I think people are really feeling beat down by the man, mm. whatever the man is sure. in your situation. I think there's a lot like this is a very important time in human existence, not to mm. let the Siths win. Like Dude, we so have, good. we've got to like, be thinking positive. We've got to keep being inclusive. Mm. And that means and everything, not just like, hell yeah, it's great. The Ariel is a black mermaid. Why not? The only yeah. good song in the, yeah. the only good song in little mermaid is the Caribbean one. Maybe they're going to do a Caribbean <laughs> yeah. Yeah. mermaid and they're going to bring pirates into it. Like, like yeah. as soon as I heard that, I was like, what a great opportunity. Um, yeah. And if people think that way, and I think as far as like the way I think too, like inclusivity in my world, like mm. I don't, I, you know, I try to bring everybody in to if i get a big job believe me i'm calling all my favorite dudes and we're gonna make some killer art together you yeah. know and i might even call a couple dudes that aren't my favorite dudes but they're really good at what they do and maybe yeah. they'll come in and we'll become friends through the process of making something Hell together yeah. you know yeah, and it's man. like it's that sort of thinking that i think is going to help not just me achieve my goals but help everybody you know, it sounds like I'm on the, on the, giving a sermon on the Mount Dude, here or whatever. I but fucking love it, man. Uh, I'm telling you, I think that it's important for everybody to get, you know, more connected and yeah, more, um, put yourself out there, not just for you, but for everybody else, Dude, you know, yeah, like man. it's important, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's what's going to get us through all this dark stuff that's going on. Because it's real easy to go on the internet and go, oh, yeah. damn, 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 this sucks, this sucks. I'm <laughs> yeah. so angry right now. And, it, you know, but yeah. it's a lot better for you to turn that thing off. Dude, And seriously. just get out and climb a tree or take your kid out to, uh, you know, Dude. watch a cartoon. Do something, man. Yeah, man. You know, like. That's so, that's so good. It's like, you know, I've been kind of going through this whole in my life in the inner world, right. In my inner, in my mind. And it's like, um, you know, a lot of times we ask ourselves like, why, like, why, why is this world suck so bad? Why is there all this stuff? And it's like changing the why to a what it's like, well, what can I do exactly. to begin to make this world better? And if that's starting with my damn self to where like, you know, I had a really badass uh, cello player here in Atlanta, come on, uh, Okori. And we talked about racism, man. And it was the scariest thing for me. as like a white male, like shitty, you know, whatever. Like, how the fuck do I talk about this? And yeah. I, and I asked him humbly, I was like, look, man, we're a hundred episodes in. Like, I got to talk about this and I honor you, dude. And like, can we talk about this? And he was like, yeah, man. And we ended up going on to talk and he said the most beautiful thing. He said that, you know, racism is in the air. It's in the air that we breathe. It's just, it's there. It's thick. Yeah. And the only thing we can truly do is begin to develop a gas mask. In other words, our consciousness to begin to filter that racism out of our own reality. Then we can help others put on their gas mask, so to speak. So it's like, it all starts from the inner, right? Yeah. And it's like, and it's just, and I love what you, you said about the analogy with movies. It's almost like if we could do that with everything, what a better world it would be in. And what I mean is coming together to create something better, right? Exactly. So it's like, so it's like you, you talk about like, man, when this big project comes on, which is like call the big project, the fucking earth and, and global warming or whatever the hell you want to call it, the problem that, that rests at hand. And it's like, if we could all come together, call upon the badass, then even call upon the people that maybe you weren't even that connected to, but by 
by working together, maybe we could create a better world yeah. and even become friends in the process. Exactly. <laughs> Understand each other. You know, you put yourself out there and you might find out that, you know, this guy wasn't all wrong. Exactly. You know, and maybe the stuff that he was wrong about, maybe through your interactions, he'll come to some other realization too. It's, it's really that easy, you know, and, and that's, that's the thing. It's real easy. Like, and it, it, go, it all goes back to the thing. Like, my reality is all that I have. Exactly. Right? So, my reality for me is not going to be one of, oh, I'm pissed at the world. I can't, you know, because I've been depressed. Sure, I've been man. sad. I've been strung out on drugs. I've done all the stupid shit. I've been divorced. I've gone through it, you know? Like, but I'm not going to let that be the thing that drives me. You know, like you have to manipulate your own real, and it goes back around to what I was saying when I was a kid, and I realized how powerful it was to manipulate your own reality to be whatever it is. Mm. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit there and take the bad. You know, I'll take the bad. I'll listen to it, and I'll and I'll know that it's there. You know, but I'm not gonna let it drive me. You know, yeah. I've got too much shit to do, dude. I love that, man. It's like if you don't like the role you're playing in this world, then change, change it. Change it. It's that easy. <laughs> Just change the role. I, I tell people that all the time. <laughs> they're like going, they're going through problems with their, their, uh, you know, their significant other or whatever. She did. He did this. She did this. It's like. There are 4 billion other people yeah. in the world that'll treat you better. There's a whole giant world. Like if, if you don't like where you're living, yeah. then leave. Leave. You exactly. don't like your, you don't, your family's terrible. Yeah. Just stop talking to them for a while and yeah. go like I, like my second, my second divorce, I was broken and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Japan <laughs> by myself. I'd never been to Japan. I'm like, I'm just going to go over there and just walk the streets for a couple weeks. Oh, you yeah. know, and this friend of mine was like, oh, you're going to become the man with the stick. And I was like, <laughs> I am. I'm going to be, and I came back stronger. I was like, wow, I conquered Japan. I didn't have anybody to hold my hand through Japan. I don't know, uh, Japanese, you know, but I was like, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was great. You know, like I, I was like, nah, I'm not going to let this stuff get me down. I'm going to do something Sometimes you have to do something dramatic too to kick yourself in yeah, the man. ass or whatever it is to get that jump start going. And for me, it's always been something dramatic like that. Like I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna quit my my band. I'm gonna sell my tattoo shop and I'm gonna just make uh, monsters. Now. You know what I mean, like, <laughs> dude, dude? I love this man. I mean, I think this is a great place to wrap up. And dude, honestly, I have to have you back on at some point, man, because I feel like as much as we talked about off the podcast, like I want to dive into it, but I wanted to give people like just like a general sense of the madness and wildness and beauty of freaking Shane Morton, oh, man. Thank and, you, dude, honestly, man. This was a total honor. And like I said, you were one of the best hosts, man. Just having me and and dude, honestly, it was such an honor. It's a memory. I'll never forget. And, and, uh, you know, and I hope to make more. And so if, uh, if people want to check out your work, man, like what's the best way to do that? Um, silver scream effects lab.com. There's a lot of fun stuff like out, like G, uh, PBS did a great documentary on the spook show that kind of encapsulates oh, everything. Yeah. Like there's a lot of f- uh, fun stuff out there because I've been lucky enough to be, um, you know, put out there to the point where people are like, Hey, check this out. But like, 
the website is going through an overhaul and the real thing gets launched in like the end of August. So we're going to have a lot of new pictures, new demo reels. And we've been shooting, uh, different spots for like, we've been teaching, you know, we open up the classroom again, so we're teaching monthly classes. So all that stuff, we're going to start making videos and, you know, because it's, Skinner's been, I told you, Skinner's yeah. been on me for years. Like, dude, yeah, yeah. you've got like this place. <laughs> like, why didn't we just shoot that conversation we had for an hour about yeah, Richard man. Corbin? Like uh, 10,000 people would watch you and me talk about Richard Corbin for an hour Hell while we yeah. were sitting here drawn, you know, he's like, you got, you and Kevin are so funny. You just need to put a camera in here. Yeah. You get Chris Brown crashing through here with a puppet every now and then. <laughs> it's just like, it's the show's yeah. ready made. So people like ha- coming in and hanging out and hearing our crazy stories we might as well start filming them and putting them up on the website hell yeah so dude. we've been shooting little shorts here and there and little funny skits and we're gonna start dropping one every week or every other week we just want to make sure we have cool. a bunch of stuff compiled so we can say okay here we go like try to make it look good and put titles you know dude, how it is that's bad you know dude. the one man show yeah, I know. <laughs> you know dude well thank you so much man honestly this has been an honor man and and uh yeah i had a lot of fun it was awesome man. cool me too hell yeah. thanks